Welcome to the Pretty Powerful Podcast, where powerful women are interviewed every week to share real inspiring stories and incredible insight to help women or anyone break the barriers, be a part of innovation, shatter the glass ceiling, and dominate to the top of their sport, industry, or life's mission. Join us as we celebrate exceptional women and step into our power. And now, here's your host, Angela Gennari. Thank you for joining us for the Pretty Powerful Podcast. This is Angela Gennari, and I have the pleasure of speaking with Miss Monica McCoy today. So thank you so much for being here, Monica. It's my pleasure. So Monica is super impressive. I'm super, I'm really excited to introduce you to, to our audience today because you are doing so much for women and for businesses. And I want to kind of go through your biography uh, really quickly with everyone. So Monica McCoy is a highly sought after award winning global speaker business strategist, and consultant. In 2017, McCoy founded Monica Motivates LLC. The Monica Motivates organization offers education and consulting services to women and underrepresented entrepreneurs, providing the tools and knowledge they need to grow and scale their businesses. Recognizing that gender and race play significant roles in determining access to capital for women business owners and underrepresented founders, her vision is to remove barriers that negatively impact founders and close the opportunity gaps that exist due to lack of education, resources, and access to capital. A former Global Director of Strategy and Innovation for the McDonald's division for the Coca-Cola company, McCoy left to pursue her own dreams in 2017 after 15 successful years. Now her business focus is helping individuals identify their purpose and passion while showing them how to best leverage their newly found knowledge for the benefit of other companies and themselves. As a result, McCoy founded Pitch University, an award-winning interactive workshop featuring strategies and tactics shared by current and former executives of major multinational companies. In addition, McCoy held the first annual Global Global Supplier Diversity Conference in September of 2018, providing the strategic framework for founders to identify, prepare, and secure corporate contract opportunities. The fourth annual GSDC will be held September 23, 2021. McCoy was named the 2019 Startup Atlanta Equity Champion, a 2020 American Express Founder of Change, and was most recently among the 2021 Porsche-driven women. Monica attended University Emory University in Atlanta, Georgia, and holds a bachelor's degree in psychology. Amazing. Absolutely amazing. And I love that you're using all of your talents to help other entrepreneurs, women, and underrepresented communities. So thank you, thank so you for being here. Thank you. It's my pleasure. So I want to kind of start off by asking what I, I know that you were already working for Coca-Cola and you were taking on a lot of diversity initiatives. What led you to start your own business and to really kind of pursue this path in helping others? Well, I would have to actually back up a little before even going to corporate America. So when I went to Emory University, my plan was to actually be a cardiologist. Wow. Because I wanted to <laughs> save lives. And um, you should know that you have a fear of blood um, before you <laughs> <laughs> decide to major in chemistry and say that you're going to be a cardiologist. Mm-hmm. So when I discovered that fear, I had to pivot right. um, and go ahead and take that track um, to corporate America. So I was never really intended to yeah. go and and be a full-time employee, but I made the best of it because I loved working with people 
And I loved, you know, how um, people thought, how they brought their processes together and things of that nature. So after spending 15 years at Cope, one of the things that I identified was that both corporate women and business women were having real challenges when it came to securing promotions, but also securing funding for their business. And so I decided um, five years ago to take that leap of faith um, to really come out and work with women and underrepresented founders. Yeah. Oh, I I love it so much. So um, I I couldn't agree with you more that... um, you know, taking that leap and going in and helping others. And I think that psychology background definitely helps. I also have a psychology (laughs) background. And no matter what I do in the business world, it still is a passion to, you know, try to inspire, help others and understand what they're, where they're coming from. And I think when you have that background, you, you do, you can empathize a little bit more and, and you're able to really identify what the triggers are and what the challenges are that are going to hold people back from pursuing, um, or yeah, pursuing capital from starting a business from, you know, representing their brand. Um, and speaking of branding, you actually have something called treat your brand like a fortune 100 company. Um, I think that's amazing. So tell me a little bit about that. Well, each of us, we're a personal brand. Right. And unfortunately, most of us don't spend a lot of time investing in our personal brand. We're always right. investing in someone else's brand or, you know, working um, to really pursue someone else's goals and dreams. Mm. And what I write about in this book is that you really have to treat your brand like a Fortune 100 company because really you want to take at least one or two days a month to really assess, you know, what is my brand communicating? What is my value proposition? Mm. How am I showing up day in and day out? Especially as women, you know, the pandemic has unfortunately significantly set us back in both corporate America and in the entrepreneurial space. And so really we want to make sure that we reassess, you know, Am I bringing my best self each day? Am Mm. I investing in my personal brand? Am I taking the time to really make sure that I'm really delivering for my clients? Yes, absolutely. So so when you're representing yourself as a Fortune 100 company, um, one thing that I think is important um, that these companies do is you have somebody in these big Fortune 100 companies who are working on the vision, right? So they're, they're out there working on on the business and not in the business so much. And I think that's something that you're you're getting across in this treat yourself like or treat your life and your brand like a Fortune 100 company. Work on yeah. yourself, not necessarily, you know, in in the weeds. Yeah, because when we think about entrepreneurs, unfortunately, um, many of us are solopreneurs. Right. Where, you know, we are the CEO, the CFO, the CMO, the CTO, the CIO. We're every single yes. role in the company. And unfortunately, when you do a cost-benefit analysis, you start to see that you're actually losing significant money every day that you're mm-hmm. doing everything by yourself. And so it takes that investment. And sometimes in year one or two of your business, you're not making um, a ton of money. You're not necessarily in the black, but certainly when you continue to make those investments and build a team, you can start to see where truly you can scale your business and take it to that next level. Absolutely. And then pitch university. So you talk about the art of the pitch. So pitching is probably one of the things that I feel like women are pretty intimidated by, um, just because I don't think we have as many opportunities to stand up and pitch. So tell me a little bit about what makes a great pitch. Well, if you think about it, for every one time that a woman pitches, 
it's nine times that her male counterpart pitches. Wow. And a lot of times we have analysis paralysis and we are frozen by wanting to be perfect. Right. You know, we want, you know, we're craving that perfection. But really what takes a good pitch is that you have to really make sure you connect with your audience. Okay. You can't just go in and just say anything. You have to make sure that you're identifying a problem that they can connect with. What is sure. your unique solution? Um, what is your, who is your target audience? What is your business model? How are you making money or how are you literally saving money for the company? And finally, what is your ask? You know, what yeah. do you need? And many times what I see is that women are really shy about the ask. Right. So they are comfortable talking about someone else's brands, someone else's company. But when it comes to making an ask for themselves, especially when it's capital, when it's money for the business, um, many women shy away from that. And it's the same in corporate America when asking for the promotion. Right. They're shying away from that. Yeah. No, I 100% I, I agree. Um, because that is something that we find challenging. I think that we can we can sell pretty good, but we can't close, right? And so sometimes that can be a challenge is closing that sale, getting to the point where it's like, hey, I've told you all the benefits. Right. I've, I've explained why this is so wonderful. And then you're hoping they say, so can I give you money? <laughs> right. <laughs> and just to add on to that, um, when I was in corporate America and I was a global director, you know, I had many founders come and pitch to potentially do business. Right. And what I found was that many women and minority founders uh, were unfortunately very unprepared. Okay. You know, they didn't know the true components. They didn't understand how to connect with the audience. They came in just talking about themselves okay. instead of how they could really add value and solve a problem. And so what I really want to you know, share with your audience is that when you have that opportunity to share about your brand, mm-hmm. make sure you're connecting to how you're bringing a solution to the table and not just making it all about yourself. Yeah. So how would somebody develop a solution? So is that the why? You know, why does this matter to you? And and how can I help you solve your problems? Well, that's why you first have to identify a problem. Because right. in any successful business, you have identified a problem that you are solving. Right. So if you're not, if you haven't done the root cause analysis to actually identify the problem, then there is no solution. So right. you have to do your due diligence to make sure that, is something that individuals actually want that the market is demanding. Because if you invest all this money in something that you don't have a proof of concept for, then quite frankly, you've gone down a path where you've invested a lot of resources, but the market doesn't want it. Right. All right. That's brilliant. So um, going into the Global Supplier Diversity Conference. So this is something where you're bringing in, can you tell me a little bit about this? Because, um, you know, my impression of it is that you're bringing in people and educating them on why diversity is p- important in an organization, but also educating them on the benefits of having a diverse workforce. So tell me a little bit about what the Global Supplier Diversity Conference is and how women and under- underrepresented um, groups can get more government contracts. Yeah. So one of the things that our team identified Identified was that there was a significant gap with the number of women and underrepresented founders who were securing corporate contracts. And so if you think about it, many individuals were good with having B2C relationships or business to consumer, okay. but they were not good with B2B or business to business relationships. 
And so our goal was to start the conference to one, educate suppliers Mm. on how to do business with Fortune 500 companies and then activate those contracts because there are billions of dollars in contracts that corporations need every single year. But it's not just enough for them to secure that contract because if you're in and you don't perform well and you're kicked out, then that's not necessarily a win. We want you to actually sustain it. So the third is to make sure that you're actually sustaining those contracts, that you're Mm -hmm. building that that true long-term relationship. Because what we know is that if we can get smaller businesses reliable revenue, where it right. is repeating over three to four years, that is where generational wealth can be built. And we continue to see in the minority communities where unfortunately the net worth continues to go down. And we want to oh. make sure that we're positioning these individuals to have the ability to build long-term wealth generation, not just for their family, but for future generations to come. Wow. So when you're talking about the corporate um, uh, contracting, I know that I recently read a statistic about government contracts and federal Mm -hmm. contracts. And I think think women-owned businesses only got about 4% of all federal contracts, uh, which is to me just astonishing Mm -hmm. that it's that low. Um, But do you see that in corporate as well? Well, I think we have to dig a little deeper because what we know is that um, female founders are only getting 2% of the total VC funding for their business. And when we dig further and look at African-American female founders, only 0.4% of venture capital funding is going to African-American female-founded teams. And so we know that if there's no access to capital, if there's no cash flow, then even if you do run the corporate contract, unfortunately, you don't have the cash flow to be able to actually successfully complete it because you don't have the money to pay your people. Right. And so we have to really solve this access to capital issue because it continues to unfortunately go in the wrong direction. Right. And as much as we want to say that we're making significant progress, it is not statistically significant for us to go out there and celebrate right now. We have a long way to go and we have to make sure that individuals are aware that Women and minority founders need funding. Absolutely. I agree. Because, um, you know, I was looking at a lot of statistics recently um, as I'm preparing a presentation myself, and it's astonishing to see some of the things that are out there as far as statistics because numbers don't lie. Mm -hmm. And so most people will say, well, it feels pretty equal when I'm in my workplace, right? Well, I see plenty of women. I see... you know, diversity and, and, and cultures. But I, but when it comes to the numbers, when it comes to the C level, the board of directors, the funding, that's where you're seeing the, the massive differences in, you know, where's the money actually going. Um, yeah. And unfortunately, the catalyst data is showing the same thing that, um, COVID has really exposed, you know, a lot of the problems in corporate America. Yes. Where unfortunately, um, women have, were disproportionately impacted mm-hmm. over the last two years with having the responsibility of childcare, right. household duties, et cetera. And so what we know is that women had to make really hard decisions to exit the workforce disproportionately towards their male counterparts compared to their male counterparts. And so what we have to make sure that we solve for is how do we attract that talent back and how do we retain the talent that we have? Because the pipeline, if it doesn't have that female talent there, 
that we've worked so hard to build, right? you know, we're going to continue to be set back year over year. So how do we do that? How do we maintain that pipeline? How do we attract them back? How do we attract women back to the workforce? Um, do you are do you have thoughts on, you know, what would be beneficial as a woman to say, hey, look, it's worth it for me to come back into the workforce right now? I think the word that has really been um, really brought to the forefront over the last two years is empathy, Mm. because so many leaders at the height of the pandemic did not know how to connect with their employees. They didn't know how to empathize to understand that they were in very trying circumstances and conditions and had to make the best of what was very a challenging last two years. And so what I would say is really having the understanding that what worked previously is not necessarily the best thing to go back to. Mm-hmm. Allowing flexibility, allowing people to say, if I want to come in the office two days a week, I can. If I want to work from home two days a week, I can. Right. But having that flexibility because What we have also seen is that people have taken time to reflect and identify what is truly their purpose. And so people are identifying their North Star and saying, I really want to walk in my authentic purpose now. I don't want to go back to just, you know, working 80, 100 hours a week and realizing that that's not really my calling. That's not really what gives me that fulfillment. And so really letting people bring their authentic self to the workplace showing empathy as a leader and showing that you truly want to connect with your people because the, the, the feedback that many employees gave to their C-suite leaders over the past two years is that they were unable to connect with them authentically. Well, don't you think though, that's where women as leaders, we really thrive because we thrive with mm-hmm. empathy. We thrive with connection. We thrive with understanding why family matters so much to our employees. We thrive in community building. And I think this is, you know, just another argument for why women need to be in leadership. Absolutely. And the data shows that when you have a diverse board of directors from both a gender, diversity of thought, diversity of ethnicity, yes, all those things lead to long-term better bottom line results. Absolutely. And so yes. we know that this, the data tells the story. Unfortunately, when it comes to representation on boards and representation in the C-suite, um, we still have a huge opportunity. Um, The first female African-American female CEO was Ursula Burns of of Xerox, and she has since, of course, retired. And now we have two African-American female CEOs of Fortune 500 companies. So certainly progress. Absolutely. But with the level of talent that we have from a female perspective, we should see more representation in the boardroom Mm -hmm. and also more representation in the C-suite. Absolutely. And as much as it's it's amazing and we should celebrate two African-American female CEOs in Fortune 500 companies. We're also talking about two out of 500. Exactly. And that's not okay, right? So that's the part where we need to be questioning, but why only two? Exactly. Because the data is there. 35% more revenue is generated when women are in charge. Yep. 35%. I read another statistic that for every 1,000 employees that a company has, females in leadership save the company 
$1.47 million per 1,000 employees. The data is there. The data is there to support women in leadership, but I don't know what is the, what is the, the holdup? Why, why, why are we not getting to where we want to be? Is it, is it women? (laughs) Excuse me. Or is it men? Is it, you know, or is it a culmination of many things? And I think it's, it could be, um, it, it could be women who don't feel like that's going to lead to great work-life balance for them, but it also could be that they're just not getting the opportunities. So I guess it could be many things. What are your thoughts? Well, I think it's a combination of two major things. One is the concept of pie. So not grandma's apple pie, okay. but performance, <laughs> image, and exposure. Okay. So many women are set up to be worker bees in the organization. So they are great performers. They mm. get the work done. They bring just a significant drive to perform. But when it comes to image, you know, how they show up in rooms, how they have their executive presence, um, that's lacking. And then when it comes to exposure, how they're being exposed to the senior leadership, that's lacking also. So if you have a pie where 90% of your pie is performance, 5% is image and 5% is exposure, you're going to be that person who's always looking over your back saying, gosh, you know, he just came in the organization And he's already two more promotions ahead of me and he just started, whereas I've been working hard and no one seems to be noticing. Well, the thing is, is that what we know that the research shows is that you can't just be a worker bee. You have to make sure that you're stewarding your work and making sure you're gaining that exposure with the executive leadership team. But we know that many times women are doing the work. And other people, unfortunately, are taking the credit and exposing their work at the executive leadership team level and getting those promotions. Yeah. So when I say to women, really look at your pie, assess where you are. Are you the worker bee? Uh-huh. Or are you someone who's mastered exposure? Are you the person who shows up in a room and no one notices? Right. Are you the person who you demand everyone's attention when you walk in the room? And the final thing I would say on that is that many of us just don't know the rules of the playbook. And so when I first started corporate America, I have to admit, I was that worker bee. I was told you work hard and you get the promotion. What I realized very quickly, though, is that you have to have a sponsor. You have to have someone advocating for you behind closed doors. And so many women do not have sponsors. And if you think about it, one of the things that we show from an unconscious bias perspective is that people like to continue to work with people who look like them, mm. who act like them, who appear to be many means of them. Right. And so if you think about who's in power in corporate America, many times if you're a female, unfortunately the person who could potentially be the sponsor doesn't necessarily relate with everything that you're going through. So you have to get out of your comfort zone and make sure that you are advocating for your career and building strategic relationships for people to really advocate for you behind closed doors to help you get to that next level because you can't do it by yourself. You are absolutely right. And, you know, having a sponsor is, is brilliant because I, I agree with you that there there's not enough women who are in executive roles who are also bringing up the next woman behind them. Mm-hmm. And so we need to do a better job of that in corporate America is bringing that next woman up with you, you know, through the ranks. And if you have achieved a certain status, make sure that you're paying that forward and, and bringing somebody else up because you're absolutely right. 
And also in the entrepreneurial space. So it yes. can't just be limited to corporate America because it's a vicious cycle. You know, many uh, minority women are exiting corporate America at rapid rates to start their own business yes. because they feel like, okay, I'll come out here. I have the freedom. I'll start my business. But then they're depleting their 401ks. Mm. They're having to, you know, spend their retirement savings to start their business. So we need advocates also for entrepreneurs to continue to make sure that they have a fair shot at succeeding. Absolutely. And, and cash is a big part of that, right? Yes. Because I did read that most uh, females um, and minority entrepreneurs start their businesses with cash because they're not able to get bank financing and they're not able to get capitals uh, or capital from uh, venture capital. So, mm-hmm. you know, for us, we have to fund with cash mm-hmm. and cash is, is a very difficult resource. If you're not coming from money, if you don't have generational wealth, if you don't have a huge 401k or, or some sort of major amount of savings, it's very hard to sustain a growing business with just cash. Right. Absolutely. And really over the past year and a half, what we've seen is that um, businesses that were disproportionately impacted or had to close their doors were female and minority owned businesses. Wow. Really due to the lack of access to cash flow. Mm -hmm. So if you were living payroll cycle to payroll cycle pre the pandemic, once your cash flow stopped, the business also stopped. Yes. So we're having founders who were having to close their doors, not because it wasn't a great business, but because unfortunately there was no cash. Yeah, absolutely. So the bridge, um, supplier diversity accelerator. So does that offer opportunities for people to learn some of these business tools to get them to where they want to go? Um, because like you were saying, a lot of it's re- lack of resources. It's lack of capital. It's lack of knowledge. It's lack of education. Mm-hmm. And all of this plays a part in how successful we're going to be as an entrepreneur. So tell me a little bit about the bridge and how that might help being an accelerator program? Yeah. So um, I happen to be married to um, a phenomenal man who's in construction. And um, as a minority in construction, he is truly, um, you know, out there doing amazing things, but there needs to be additional diversity in the construction industry. And so we started the Bridge Accelerator in partnership uh, with the Fortune 50 company here in Atlanta. And we did two cohorts to really help diversify the construction industry um, to have access to commercial real estate contracts with Fortune 500 companies. And so what we saw is that there was no lack of talent. The talent was there, but the access to the contracts was not. Mm. And so if you have the talent, if you bring the skill set, if you have the team and all you need is someone to help you with those introductions, to understand financial acumen, to understand marketing, some of the key things that we teach in the bridge program, that's what's really going to lead to long-term sustained success. And so when I get emails from um, graduates and alum of the program saying that, hey, Monica, I now am a tier one vendor with this Fortune 500 company. Wow. That's what brings joy to me because what I know is that that individual now has an opportunity to build generational wealth for their family, not only with having a successful business, but then having reliable wealth to come behind it. Absolutely. That's amazing. Well, and the fact that you're able to influence so many others and and bring them up with you, it's just absolutely inspiring. So 
One of the programs that I felt like was um, just a highlight to me, uh, I I did my internship with the Department of Juvenile Justice. At one point, I thought I was going to be an attorney and be a forensic <laughs> psychologist and spent some time working um, in the um, correction system because I wanted to help um, and rehabilitate. And you have a program called Pivot Purposefully, and I am just so inspired by this. So can you tell me a little bit about it? Yeah, so Pivot Purposefully is the nonprofit arm of our company. Okay. And one of the things that um, we see is that, unfortunately, many women um, who have been incarcerated for minor offenses, such as drug possession um, or just minor, minor things, and spent 10, 15 years in prison, mm. they come out and, unfortunately, many times end up going back to prison. And so the goal of this program is to reduce the recidivism rate. Because we know that when women are given the opportunity to become the sheroes of their family, yes. to really go in there and start a business, this makes a difference for these families and for these um, leaders. What we know is that with our program, we're teaching formerly incarcerated women how to either start a micro business, such as being able to go and start a nail salon, yeah. to start a beauty salon, or to go out there if they already have a business to really be able to scale that business. And so the thing I'm most proud about this program is that whether the lady has spent 27 years in prison mm-hmm. or whether she is six months in prison, what I love about this is that Everyone deserves a second chance. Absolutely. And this continues to be a very overlooked population. And so our team took this on really because we know that a lot of the root cause analysis shows that if the mother is not in the home, unfortunately, many of the children end up following some of the same paths. Mm -hmm. And so if we can have the mother rehabilitated, getting back Mm -hmm. in the home and being a shero to the family, that gives that child hope to go out there and also be successful. Yes. And then, you know, if you don't have the mother in the home, it's likely that the child will end up in foster care, which is another cycle of, um, you know, tends to, uh, I think something, the statistic is something like 80% of all children in foster care will end up in the um, incarcerated at some point in their adult life. And so, you know, because when you leave foster care, sometimes you, most of the time you don't have resources, you don't have support. And so you're trying to figure out adult life very quickly with no guidance. And it leads to, um, you know, crime or poverty or um, homelessness. And so if you can, if you can counteract that by keeping women, you know, who have had, you know, some trouble in their past, if you can keep them in their home, give them inspiration, give them hope. Yep. I think that you can really turn around an entire, an entire family. Yeah. And I, I even think about um, the book, Just Mercy. Unfortunately, if a child cannot read by third grade, they're already predicting the number of prisons they're going to need to build by the time that child is an adult. Hmm. So think about the fact that, you know, the data is showing that if a child can't read by third grade, unfortunately, they are not predicted to succeed by age 18. Wow. And to unfortunately, unfortunately be potentially incarcerated. And Hmm. so those are the data points we're dealing with. And if, if the mom isn't in the home in some of those critical formative years, then we're continuing to repeat a vicious cycle. Right. And so what I do want to, to leave you with is that I spent 
15 years in corporate America. And, you know, it was a fun 15 years. You know, I enjoyed my job as a global director. But what I realized is that I was walking someone else's path for success. Hmm. And what I want to say to your audience today is do not let this life pass you by without walking in your authentic purpose. So many people, we all put up a great facade of like, we're happy, we have everything together. But truly 10% of happiness is based on your income, Uh based on the house you live in, based on the car you drive, based on the things that people try to portray to the world. What I would tell you is to really dig deeply and really Mm -hmm. find out what truly makes you happy. Right. What truly drives you? Because the fact that we're still saying, thank God it's Friday or I live for the weekend. Right. It shows that we have a lot of opportunity to truly dig deep and and do something that is driving purpose and driving legacy. Yes. As opposed to just saying, you know, I'm doing this to be able to buy the next material thing. And so when we look at the happiness index. Unfortunately, we see that America is a country that is not very happy. Right. And, um, what I really try to do in this organization from both myself with my team and with the clients that we impact is to really leave behind the message that you have one life to live. Mm-hmm. And if you're always living your life for someone else to impress other people, to get likes, mm-hmm. then quite frankly, you're living a life that truly is never your own. Right. So own it. Absolutely. Go out there and be fulfilled and truly walk in your authentic purpose. Oh, I love that so much. So you are so inspirational to me. I feel like there's there's a lot that our audience can gain from you. But what inspires you? You know, what inspires me day to day is being able to see just a pebble drop of change. Yes. And so I feel like everyone has a pebble to throw out there. Mm-hmm. And I threw my pebble with hanging up my hat in corporate America, coming out here and starting my business. And my pebble is different from your pebble. Right. My pebble is different from your audience's pebble. But find your pebble. Mm. Throw your pebble out there Mm -hmm. and see the ripples that it makes. Because as you're throwing these pebbles, just as you're planting seeds for trees that you will never see Mm -hmm. grow, right? do your part. Um, Because quite frankly, what what I truly love about what I'm doing now is that I don't get tired. Yeah. It's very, very purpose-driven work. I'm sure you wake up excited to do what you're doing. Wake up so excited, but yeah. also have to realize that I have more life than doing my business. You know, right. I, have, I have two beautiful kids yes. and um, my husband of almost 20 years. So, wow. so what I, what I will say is that um, to answer your question fully is what inspires me is that I don't view success by society's definition. I've created my own definition for Monica, and I encourage everyone to create your own definition of success because the more that we are trying to validate ourselves through other people's lenses, yes, the more that we're always going to be trying to fill this empty hole that will never be filled. Absolutely. Thank you. Yes, I think that's incredible advice. Um, so as women, we often give our power away because we think that, um, 
other people should take credit for something that we've we've built, whether that be our spouse, our children, our boss, our coworkers. Mm-hmm. We often give our power away, and I think that that's a natural response for a woman because I think that we like to see other people happy. We like to see other people succeed. So tell me, but it also can impact us negatively because, like you were saying, with the pie uh, example, if we're not representing ourselves as someone who is competent in a boardroom or in an executive level, it can come back to us in terms of being passed over for promotions or being passed over for an advancement in a company. So tell me about a time that you have um, given away your power and then another time where you've really stepped into your power. And what was the difference in those two times and, you know, in terms of your mindset going into it? Yeah, so I I would go back to the word that you ended with is mindset. Sure. So um, when I first started my corporate career, I had more of a fixed mindset. Yeah. That, you know, you work hard and it just comes to you, the promotions, et cetera. Mm. And so I put too much of my power in that things would just work out. Right. Based on me doing the hard work. And so what you quickly figure out is that if you give all of your power to someone else, you're always going to be left disappointed. Right. So one, one of the things that you have to start with is first believing that you have power, because I hear too many times from women, very limiting beliefs of, well, Monica, I just don't have the power to do that. Or Monica, no one's going to listen to me. Or Monica, no one's going to take me seriously. Mm. And so you have to first believe that you actually have power. But then on top of that, you have to have what's called a growth mindset. So Carol Dweck um, has written this amazing book called Mindset that I think is really one of my my top five business books for every corporate professional or entrepreneur. You must read it. Um, But when you embrace that growth mindset, you start to realize that Mm -hmm. everything is possible. Yes. If yes. You will, if you will take control of owning your power and not mm-hmm. saying that, well, because this person is in this position, this person controls my destiny. Right. You have to believe that your destiny is in your hands. In addition to whatever your faith is, but mm-hmm. you have to believe that no one owns you or no one owns your power. So is that your thought? When you started Monica Motivates and you you stepped into that power of owning your own business after being in corporate America for so long, was that was that what you were thinking um, in terms of like, you know, it's time for me to own this. I know I can do this. I know I have something to contribute. And did you have any fears? Did you have any hesitations? Did you have any apprehension in doing that? Or did you just know this was your path? <laughs> no, I thought I was completely crazy to leave behind <laughs> a, a very... Um, cush corporate job with all the benefits and the global travel and yes. all the perks. Of, yes, I thought it was really crazy to do it. <laughs> but I, I pushed through that craziness uh-huh. to say, but I'm doing the right thing. Right. Um, and so to your question, what I would say is you have to really get comfortable being uncomfortable. Yes. yes. Because if you're always trying to fix your life around. I want to always just be comfortable, stay in my comfort zone. You're always going to be disappointed. And so I embraced Brene Brown's, um, the arena. It's a, it's a Roosevelt quote, um, the man in the arena and the arena. And I have 
have taken away the man and put the woman in the arena. <laughs> I agree. But one of the things that it says in the cult is that it's not the critic who counts. Right. And so many of us are always listening to the voices of others, of what their opinion is, of how they feel about the decisions that we make. But the courage truly comes for those few individuals who have the courage to get inside the arena. Yes. Because there's so many people who are just spectators their entire life. They stand on the sidelines. They clap. They boo. But they never have the courage to follow their dream. They never have the courage to go out there and walk in their authentic purpose. They live that life in the land of someday. Mm -hmm. But it's those powerful people like you who say, I'm going to start this podcast. Mm. I'm going to go out here and get uncomfortable because I know that it's needed. Right. I'm going to get inside the arena. And people may criticize me. Yes. But I have to leave those voices alone. Mm. Because quite frankly, when you go to a basketball game, you're not going to see the people sitting in the stands. Mm -mm. You're going to see the people on the court. And whether you boo them or cheer for them, they have the courage every night to get out there and do their craft. And they're hardworking and they're putting in the practice, they're putting in the work. And, and that's what, that's what we're doing as exactly. entrepreneurs. And, you know, we're putting the work in and it's grueling work at times, but Very also grueling. probably the most rewarding work because when you do know you're making an impact and you do know you're getting that feedback, you know, and you might get 10 people criticizing you, but it's that one person who says, you really inspired me or I really took something away from that. That's the part that you hold on to. Right. That's the part that you say, yep, I'm going to get up and do this again tomorrow yep. because for that one person, it mattered. And so I want to do this for the next person. It's going to matter too. And if the 10 people that just criticized me are willing to go out there and do the same thing, then bless them. <laughs> I, I hope add they do well. this point to it. Um, as an entrepreneur or as a corporate professional who's blazing a trail, you have to be comfortable with the road less traveled. Yes. So even if no one is celebrating you, yes. if you're getting no feedback or no validation, you have to be comfortable going on this road by yourself. Yeah. And so many times people think that entrepreneurship is glamorous based on what they see on social media. Right. It's a very lonely journey it many is. days. And so you have to be comfortable being your biggest cheerleader because if you're counting on other people, you're not going to survive this This game called entrepreneurship, you yeah. will quickly have to go ahead and pivot to something else. Yeah. But it takes the tenacity and grit of a powerful leader to believe in a vision that no one else sees and to know that if it doesn't make sense to anyone else but yourself, Absolutely. that you can keep going day on and day in and day out. Yes. Well, and, you know, the former CEO of Apple said, uh, if you want everyone to like you, go sell ice cream. To yeah. be an entrepreneur. <laughs> that is definitely the way to be liked. <laughs> so don't be an entrepreneur. Right. <laughs> this is very true. <laughs> so what would you give advice? Uh, what, what advice would you give to your 18 year old self? Fresh I, Monica yes. starting out into adulthood. <laughs> I, I would tell her to not take herself so seriously. Yeah. yeah. You know, um, I thought that I had to achieve milestones by a certain time. I mm. had to be married. I had to have the kids. I had to have the house. I had to have the perfect job. And looking back, I would have said, girl, loosen up and have some fun. Yes. Like, it's not that serious, you <laughs> right, know, and, right. and we have all these societal pressures that we put on ourselves. And I would tell um, 
anyone who's in their teens or 20s, you know, to enjoy your life. Yeah. You know, to don't take yourself too seriously. You're going to make a lot of mistakes yes. and it's okay. Yeah. Don't you'll, you'll recover. Up. Yes. Yeah, you'll recover you'll from fine. them. You'll be fine. Yeah. Yes, I agree. And I think that it wasn't really until the pandemic and, and as bad as the pandemic was and still is. Yes. I call it the gift of time. Absolutely. Because it gave us the gift to say, what's important to me now? Mm-hmm. I have time. I have, you know, I, I can really think through what do I want to do with me mm-hmm. right now? Absolutely. You know, with everything else, you know, um, going on in the world. And I know it's difficult to sometimes feel like, you know, as women, especially, we can feel very selfish if yeah. we start thinking about what, what do I want? Yeah. But I think that the pandemic really made people think like, I really enjoy spending time with my family or I really enjoy going on a road trip. I really enjoy, you know, going and having some downtime and taking up a hobby that I hadn't done since I was a teenager. Absolutely. But, you know, it's things like that. The gift of time, I think, is is it helps you reconnect with yourself. Absolutely. I've actually recently started um, meditating and it has really kind of helped me to center myself every single day because I'm sure like you, I've all, I'm always a hundred miles an hour, mm-hmm. you know, and, and pulled in so many directions. And sometimes I just don't stop and just connect with myself. Just, just stop and reflect like, how am I feeling? And what do I want out of today? And where will I find peace? And where will I find joy? And, and to really make sure that you're connecting, um, you know, with, with your intentions. And what you just hit on there is the gift of self-care. Yes. And it is so critical, especially as women, that we take care of ourselves. Mm-hmm. And so I love that you're meditating every day. Um, I love going to, well, I don't love it. I would <laughs> say that I, I enjoy the benefits of of going to the gym every morning Yes, and, and working out with my trainer and really understanding that I'm giving that gift to myself yes. where it's Monica time. Yes. And so I encourage everyone, be selfish and prioritize yourself. We're yes. so good at prioritizing everyone else, but be selfish and prioritize yourself. Well, and I think one thing to understand with women is that when we take time for ourselves, we're actually helping everyone else in our yeah. lives because I am a better, more calm, more rational me yeah. when I've had some time to meditate, yes. when I've had time to go to the Absolutely. gym, and when I've had the time to properly grocery shop and yeah. I'm not eating on the fly. Right. Exactly. <laughs> you know, like I am a better me. I'm a yeah. better version of me, and yeah. I can give more to others and to my business when I, when I have done that self care yeah. and when I have taken those moments of, you know, selfishness for me. Yeah. And, and it really is, it's, it, it, trust me, my son benefits greatly when I am calmer and exactly. more rational. Yeah. No, I, I call it my five F's. Like, I think you have to, whatever your faith is, prioritize that as your foundation, mm. your fitness, you know, I, yes. I put fitness as number two and then comes family. Mm. And people are always like, well, Monica, why do you put fitness above family? To your point, yes. because if I'm not good, I'm not going to be able to be good for anyone else. Right. So I have to be good for myself first. Yes. And then I'm able to be good for other people. And then the business comes, the fortune is fourth. Mm. And then fun is ingrained through all of them. I love it. Yeah. yeah. So faith, family, fortune, fun, and fitness. Yes. Not in that order. Not in yes. that order. Those are five Fs. Yes, those are five Fs. I love yes. it. I love it. I love that you memorize them. So it's pretty impressive. <laughs> well, I think it's because they resonate. It really resonates with me. And I, and I wholeheartedly agree with them. 
So one last question. Um, you've been so great throughout this entire thing. I've learned so much about you. I've learned, you've been very inspirational. What do you wish more people knew? And just in general, what do you wish more people knew? I wish more people knew that you don't have to live someone else's life. Yes. You can truly live the life you want to live. And this resonated me from college where I had friends who were becoming doctors and absolutely had no, no inclination to want to do that. They just were being forced to do it because they were living someone else's life. Yes. And I see that all the time in corporate America and in entrepreneurship where people are doing stuff that they think is impressing other people, mm. but they're not being true to themselves. And so the one message that I would hope resonates with your audience is to truly walk in your authentic purpose mm, to yes. live the life you want to live. Because if I kept living the life that everyone else wanted for me, I would be an executive at a fortune 50 company right now. Sure. Absolutely. But it wouldn't have been my joy or my right. passion. And so you have to get comfortable saying, you know, if I get to the end of my life and I look back, am I going to regret that I followed someone else's dream mm. or am I going to sit there in complete peace knowing that I gave it my all and I leave this world empty. Wow. Absolutely brilliant. I love it. Thank you so much, Monica. I really appreciate everything that you've brought to our audience today because I think that it's been very motivating, very inspiring and people can find you at Monica motivates. And um, I think that you have so many gifts that you're just going to continue blessing many, many people in your life. So thank you. thank you for everything that you're doing. And the admiration is mutual. Thank you for what you're doing. And you are being a blessing to so many. So keep doing what you're doing. Keep being obedient and keep walking in your authentic purpose. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for joining our guests on the Pretty Powerful Podcast. And we hope you've gained new insight and learned from exceptional women. Remember to subscribe or check out this and all episodes on prettypowerfulpodcast.com. Visit us next time. And until then, step into your own power.